Hey, this is the podcast for Monday, August the 10th. On the show, what the hell happened over the weekend at Cherry Beach? Stephen Del Duca calls for the start of the school year to be delayed. And how about them pot sales? Let's get started. What is going on at Cherry Beach? That is the sound of chainsaws revving. I'll tell you what the police said happened. That 10 o'clock on Sunday morning at Cherry Beach, that there was an assault. Police reporting two men were injured, two others arrested after a large fight broke out on the beach. Now, if you don't know Toronto real well, let me just give you a paint you a picture of what we're talking about here. Uh, Cherry Beach, if you think about where the DVP and the Gardner uh, meet right there, if you head further south towards the lake, right there, just straight into the port lands. That's essentially where Cherry Beach is, is a bunch of industrial land. And then there's a beautiful strip of beach, just gorgeous down there. It's lovely. But a lot of people are starting to wonder about maybe maybe we shouldn't be taking the kids to Cherry Beach after seeing this video, which has been posted to Facebook. I want to play more of it for you. And what it shows is two shirtless dudes, uh, very muscled, Tattooed, one of them appears to be bleeding from the head, and they have chainsaws. What you are seeing as you hear that video is, as I mentioned, two shirtless men carrying chainsaws. One keeps saying, who hit me? Who hit me? And they walk towards the person who is filming them and then pass them and then on to where a bunch of people are all around, and I believe that is the Cherry Beach Windsurfing Club. That's what it's been identified to me as. People are running away. It's like a scene out of Mad Max. It's nuts! What in the world is going on in Cherry Beach? Well, if you check the Facebook uh, identity of the person who who posted that video, the person who goes by the name David Soulcatcher, Mm -hmm. describes himself as a shaman and a holistic therapist, psychic artist, scientist, and philosopher and life guide. That's who posted it. And then in the Facebook comments... Now, I I haven't been able to verify either one of these, but in the Facebook comments on that video, a person says that what happened here was the context, I'm quoting here, context is the person got hit with a pipe during a, quote, meth-fueled anti-science freedom rave yesterday. I'm just, just leaving this out here. And they returned with some chainsaws trying to find out who hit them. What is going on at Cherry Beach. Omari Taylor is a DJ, Toronto DJ, who was there and has some perspective, joins me on the line. Hi, Omari. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. What happened? All right. Um, <laughs> I love the fear-mongering at the beginning with all the chainsaw sounds and stuff. But, um, I, fear-mongering? There's two shirtless dudes with chainsaws! <laughs> I know, I was there. I was there. I know, I was there. Um... Well, I, I just want to repeat. Um, yes, we we're throwing a party, um, well, a protest party, uh, you know, because you think that dancing is essential. Essential. So I was going to repeat. This has nothing to do with 
our with our protest event. Okay, this has nothing to do with it. Our party already ended. Okay, and I just want you to just want to verify that when we have our parties, we have 51 divisions uh, backing us. They have police patrolling the party to make sure everyone's safe. We actually have high security at the same time on the beach. So this our, is this our freedom rave. Yeah. This is what we're talking yeah. about. Is that is, yeah, is so that the correct? Freedom, the freedom, the the freedom, uh, back to normal festival was the extension of the protest at Queens Park, and then we extended on Cherry Beach for people the freedom to like dance, right? And you know, and socialize and stuff, right? So that, so that this incident with the chainsaw guys has nothing to do with our party. Our party was already over by the time this incident happened. I actually just like we were just we were just hanging out with regular beachgoers at Cherry Beach, right? Uh, just chilling, right? Tearing down equipment slowly, just relaxing and stuff after a successful event. I went. I actually went with my friends to have uh, to have a breakfast. I came back. My equipment was there, and I was with a bunch of people were there. I was just gonna. I was just starting to pack it away, and then I heard the chainsaws. And then coming out of the forest, the, the two guys came with the chainsaws, came from behind me and stuff, yelling about them. They're bleeding, and they're yelling about who hit who hit me and stuff. They looked at me, right? They're approaching me, my equipment, right? My friend told me to step back. I was trying to stop them from, like, you know, hitting the equipment, but then they were going to go at it, and I was just like, I don't, I don't think these guys are going to, like, you know, want a reason. So they, you know, they hacked, they, they chainsawed my equipment. I turned away, you know, left the, left, the, left the area with my DJ equipment where they were wrecking it, and then they started advancing on the beach towards the, uh, the, surf, the, the beach club or the surf club or whatever it was. So right? when we see the video, they have already chainsawed your equipment. Yeah. At that point, they already changed out my equipment and stuff, and then they kept advancing toward the beach as we were telling them to stand back, stand down, like just put the chainsaws down while people were calling the police. And then the police came in there. They did an excellent job in disarming the, uh, taking down the individuals, disarming them, did not, uh, did not kill them. They didn't even have to tase them. But, uh, they got them to drop their chainsaws and stuff and apprehended them and everything. So good job on the police, you know, and then they obviously went and uh, made, a, you know, uh, made a crime scene around my DJ equipment and other areas and stuff and got people's statements and everything. But, yeah, that's how it went down in the morning. So, again, I just came back. I had nothing to do. Like, we were already done. We are just, like, chilling just like anybody else on the beach. And then, they, and then these, these two guys came uh, out of nowhere from, the, from the, the bike path. So they started, their, they started their nonsense on the bike path. Apparently picked up chainsaws from somewhere. But somebody path. just left a couple of chainsaws lying around. You think? Well, that's what. Well, I mean, that's what BlogTO is. Uh, someone's saying from there. Okay, so we don't have that. We don't have yeah, that confirmed. So yeah, yeah. It's not but, really. Confirmed, but what but we can confirm is is this is like beyond the Thunderdome at Cherry Beach now. <laughs> you want to call it that? I'm just like you know what? Like, I mean, Cherry Beach is a beach, right? I mean. Yeah, would you go down there with a family? Would you take kids down there, considering there are two dudes walking around with chainsaws? But that was just an incident. Like, I mean, right. that was just sure. like one incident. If they, if they, if they come, if they, someone came, like, I'm, hey, I'm happy. I'm actually glad that it was chainsaws. At least I could hear them coming. It could have been someone with a knife. It could have been someone with a gun, right? Like, this stuff happens in Toronto all the time. People go, people, there's shootings that happen in clubs. Well, pre-COVID. There's shootings that happen in clubs. People still go to clubs. They still go to the same club that shootings happen, right? So you can't sit there and take a, a chainsaw incident, right, which was an anomaly, and then all of a sudden be like, oh, well, I guess it's going to be Sherry Beach is going to be 
you know, Chainsaw Beach and everyone, because there's well, a lot of chainsaws there. Like, all come on, all right. right. But <laughs> I mean, I, I get your point, Omari, that you're saying that, that, that your event had nothing to do with it at all. I, yeah. So not, so you, 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 do you think that, that your business or, or your events at least are going to be impacted by concerns about safety because of this? Why? Well, there's no, because it's not going to be impacted by safety because we have security and a police backing us up. That's why everyone had an awesome time at the party. There's no complaints, right? No, everything went, everything went without a hitch because we had security there, right? If, yeah, and the police. But security doing, was gone when the chainsaw duo showed up. Yes, that was early in the morning. They were clocked right. out. Our party was over. Our party was completely over. I know that. I know on social media, people that like you know have an issue or a bone to pick with me, right, are trying to connect something that happened at 10 in the morning to a party that was already over like three hours prior, right? But I'm not going to let that happen, and I'm not going to sit there and let them, you know, smear or, you know, smear Cherry Beach, right? Because it's just a beach in an isolated incident, right? It could have been, again, it could have been chainsaws, it could have been guns and stuff, and what we do, we just walk off the beach and no one goes to the beach anymore because of one incident? Like, come on. Like, it's like, that's dumb. Like, you know, it's just like... It was an incident. It was an isolated. It was an isolated incident away from our parties and stuff like that. It just, I just happened to be in the, my equipment. Me and my equipment just happened to be in the crossfire and stuff when it happened. And, and you know, and that's just it. Now, I can't really, you know, I can't go back in time. I can't fix that, right? There's nothing that we could have done to change it, right? Because well, Mari, how much, how much you think you lost in terms of equipment? What, what did you lose? Oh, all the main, <laughs> oh, all the main stuff of, uh, you know, the, the playing music, the two decks and the mixer, right? Yeah. They just went right um, through the two turntables and a microphone. They didn't go, I mean, they're pretty tough. They didn't go right through it, but, you know, there, there was, the damage was like, you know, they wouldn't be able to use me. I'd have to get them repaired, right, and everything. So, but, you know, hey, it's just equipment, right? I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to, like, you know, uh, stand in front of a guy with a chainsaw and, like, you know, risk my life and everything uh, over, my, over my DJ equipment. It's just DJ equipment. I could get it back easy. You know, yeah, that's, so. I, I, I think everybody is, is happy that uh, that nobody got injured in this. Yeah. It is frightening not, not to my, see. Yeah, not my time. Not my time to go for leave this planet yet. No, it's not going to be over over DJ equipment. <laughs> All, right. All right, Omari, I'm glad you're well. I'm I'm glad you called in, uh, and thank you for your perspective on what happened at Cherry Beach. No problem. All right, okay. thanks for thanks for having me. Are you in, or are you out? Are your kids going to be going to school in September or not? Do you have concerns about the plan to send kids back? Are you going to keep them home? You can keep them home. It's not a problem. The school board just wants to know so it can figure out for scheduling purposes. Now, as that is going on, the petition for the Ford government to lower class sizes in elementary down to 15 has now hit 200,000. Press conference planned for later on this afternoon. The woman that began that uh, that drive, that petition, Andrea Horvath in Ottawa this morning, speaking with teachers again, calling on the Ford government to reconsider. And Doug Ford says, "Let's give this a shot. Let's give it a shot. I, I think it's a good plan. Let's give it a shot. I think it's a good plan." As concern mounts. The leader of the Ontario Liberal Party has issued a letter, an open letter to Doug Ford, and in it, Stephen Del Duca says that the Ford government should immediately dedicate the funding that is needed to cap class sizes at a maximum of 15 students, and that if that cannot be done, 
consider a short delay to the start of school to ensure that we get it right on the line. The leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Stephen Del Duca. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Alan. Thanks so much for having me on. What do you think the majority of parents in this province are going to make of your call to consider a short delay? So I know that most parents want their kids to go back to school. Certainly my wife and I want our daughters, our older daughters going into grade eight this September, our younger daughter, grade four. We all want our kids to go back to school, but we, at least I believe most do. And I believe that most kids, uh, sorry, most parents definitely want their kids to be safe. And I, I think what we've seen uh, in the last number of days since Doug Ford released his plan is that there is a growing consensus from both um, healthcare experts like sick kids uh, and also Toronto Public Health and education experts that the lack of uh, a cap size or a class size cap is something that's really, really uh, discouraging and scary for parents and for teachers and for everyone else in the system. So my letter today to the Premier was mostly focused on asking him to reconsider his plan to dedicate those resources. And frankly, we've seen with the the recovery, or the, the opening of our economy, that the government's chosen to go with a region-by-region approach. Not every region in the province has performed the same throughout the pandemic. So take advice from health experts and education experts. And if we need to do a short delay in order to get it right in some regions of the province and make sure parents are comfortable, then that should be on the table as well. We're talking three weeks tomorrow. Three mm-hmm. weeks tomorrow. I mean... You, you, what you're saying, I mean, you're, you're saying that, I mean, the money is not going to be able to be on the table. The plan's not going to be able to revamp fast enough to get it started. So you're saying that school should not start on September the, what is, what is it, the, September the 8th, 8th, is the plan. The 8th yeah. this year. Well, here's a good example. So I live in York Region, just on the edge of Toronto, and my, my daughter is with the York Region Catholic School Board. And the York Region Catholic School Board has a meeting tonight, which is August the 10th. Uh, And at that meeting, which we've been invited to participate in or watch, uh, they'll be discussing their uh, their reopening plan. I've been told that we're going to get a survey to fill out as parents, which is great. We're going to do that. But by the time we actually get, I think, concrete feedback from the school board here in York Region, it might be later this week. It might be early next week. I actually don't know at this point in time. So everyone's working hard and all the school boards, our teachers are working hard. Moms and dads want to go back to work and make sure that they can participate in the reopening and have peace of mind knowing that their kids are safe at school. And I, again, think most parents like us, like me and my wife, want our kids to go back to school. I just think that it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And I think Doug Ford should take a look at the plan. He should listen to what experts are telling him. And if that means that for us, like in my case, my daughters go back to school September 15th rather than September the 8th, but we know in those two extra weeks this government's going to get it right, I would rather, much rather have that happen than rushing towards September the 8th without any changes to the plan whatsoever. I can't believe you're quoting Dalton McGinty. Well, the quote is appropriate <laughs> that, in this case. It is never the wrong time to do the right thing. I'm, and here's the other thing that I can't understand, Alan. I don't know why the Premier is not listening. Doug Ford's not listening. And that's the other part that, as a parent, is just shocking to me. Because it's not Stephen Del Duca saying that class sizes should be capped or should be smaller. It's sick kids. It's the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. It's Toronto Public Health. It's teacher representatives, the people who represent our support workers, our custodians. Everyone's saying it. The, the, the defense from the government is that this is the best plan in the entire country, the, the, the most comprehensive, the best plan. 
well, again, I, I, I don't know what's happening necessarily in the rest of the province, but I'm, I'm prepared to accept that the, the people who have expertise both in healthcare and education, the ones I just mentioned again a second ago, like the folks at SickKids, they know this stuff better than I do, and frankly, better than the premier does directly. And at the end of the day, we know that class sizes that are around 15 or whatever the right number is, so that kids can remain physically distant. We have literally heard every single official tell us for five months that we should keep two meters or six feet apart, wash our hands vigorously, and the rest of the story. We, and we look, as a province, we're doing so well right now. And the people of this province should be saluted for sacrificing and for doing what we have all done to get us to a place where it appears like the curve has been flattened. So why risk it? Why take the gamble? Why, as the Premier said, as Doug Ford said in your clip, why give it a shot? It's got to be more than that. Stephen Del Duca is the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Uh, Stephen, great to talk to you. Thanks for being, coming on the program. Thank you so much, Alan. You take care. Let's get to uh, some pot news, because you might want to be wicked high if you're going to spend all day just watching a raccoon on the top of a crane. That might be entertaining if you're just wicked high. The Canadian press has this fascinating story today about a couple that won a lottery uh, and they they want not the not the lottery not the 649 the alcohol and gaming corporation lottery the one that hands out uh, cannabis licenses in this province so they they got themselves a license for a pot shop and now they're going to sell it and according to this story from the Canadian press the alcohol and gaming corporation of Ontario which oversees cannabis retailers could not say how many of the first lottery store winners are still associated with the shops that they opened but Canadian press has counted several that have changed hands and experts say more are likely to follow. So what's going on with the legal pot shops in this province? Are they being flipped? Trina Fraser is a lawyer who specializes in all things marijuana and cannabis related. Welcome back to the program, Trina. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me back. So tell me about what's going on with the ownership of these stores, because we've got it sort of scattered around. It's not like there's a big chain all through the province. There's all these individual and independent retailers. That's right. So, I mean, it is open to anyone who wants to apply now, but the first two rounds were restricted to these, you know, fixed number of winners that were chosen by a random draw. And what we had, what we saw happen in those first two rounds was in many cases, in most cases, those winners were not established cannabis retailers. And so they did get approached immediately by, you know, numerous can- cannabis retail brands who were, you know, kind of throwing themselves at them saying, look, we didn't win. We want to get our brand established in this province sooner than later. And so partner up with us in a sense. Let us license you our brand. We'll lend you the money that you need to open. Um, in some cases, there were other financial incentives. And, and, you know, when a change of control becomes permissible, because it wasn't initially, we'll buy you out of the store at a very attractive price. And so those types of arrangements were very common. And what we're seeing happen now and this year, since those change of control restrictions were lifted, is those, those options are being exercised and those change of controls are happening. So then it really is like winning the lottery, like the 649 for those that won the lottery for these licenses. I mean, it was there was a little bit more to it than that, because obviously it was substance over form, and these lottery winners had to actually be the operators 
um, you know, and get the stores open and run the stores until the point where they could exercise these options. But, um, you know, I'd say for many of them, that was always the intention was that they would be selling their interest in the store sooner than later. What I find so interesting is as we see the push towards more and more stores open, I, there's a store in my neighborhood, and when it first opened, I thought, I don't know if there is going to be the kind of demand to be able to fuel one here and then another one not too far away that's opening as well. But, you know, in the evenings, because of social distancing, people aren't in the store, so they're actually lined up outside the store. So you get a sense of what the foot traffic is. And, and what are the metrics telling you about the sustainability of all these stores? Well, it's really interesting because we are getting to the point now where we're going to start to see this phenomenon of clustering start to happen, you know, throughout in certain kind of densely populated areas throughout the province. And we're going to have to see if the province is going to take a position on that. Public objections saying, no, that's too many. We don't want that many stores in this tight of an area. But as of, at this point, the AGCO is, is not using that as basis to reject any of these, these store authorization applications. So we'll have to see if that continues. Um, you know, right now, the AGCO's position is we're going to let the forces of supply and demand dictate how many stores a particular neighborhood or area can bear. And so, you know, we haven't really seen any store failures yet at this point. We, I'm sure we will, right? We will, we will determine and supply and demand forces will determine how many stores any particular neighborhood can support. Um, you know, right now everything's a little bit in flux because we have hundreds of store uh, retailers with their stores ready to go, waiting to open, but we're limited to five new authorizations per week. So there's a huge lineup basically that goes out a year at this point, which, you know, hopefully that's going to be addressed relatively soon. We've got all these new 2.0 products, the edibles, topicals and extracts coming onto the market continually. We've got COVID. So we have all of these different kind of factors swirling around where, you know, I don't think we're at a point yet where we really understand what the true demand is for these legal cannabis products and, and how many retailers this province can actually support. But, but it's clear that the major brands are looking to snap up any store owners or any stores, buy store owners who think, well, you know, that's enough. I've done enough now. I'm going to ha- hand it over. Well, I mean, I think for the most part, now that it's kind of open and anybody can apply for, you know, any operator can apply for a store authorization in any location, I think we're going to see less and less in that of that. I think the fact is with these first two rounds of lottery winners, there are contractual obligations that were entered into last year that are now being executed upon. So it's kind of the, the tail end of that. Um, for somebody who just opens a store today and applies for a store today, I don't know that you have the same marketability of your store because, again, and anybody can apply. There was, you know, that restricted allocation of store authorizations last year that made them very valuable. And at that point, remember, it wasn't clear when, when the province was going to open up um, the application process to the world, and there would be an unlimited al- an allotment of stores. We didn't know that. So at that point, with the very limited allocation that the government gave us, um, those initial lottery winners had something very valuable that they were able to, you know, to uh, negotiate some some very favorable buyout terms for. It, it is so fascinating as it unfolds, and, and we just difficult to see how 
the demand will keep up with the number of stores that are already in the pipeline. Trina, thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you. You're welcome. The podcast for today. Don't forget, you can catch me live every weekday on 640 Toronto, starting at noon.